going through Ephesians, I was just thinking as we were worshiping, just about making that statement as a believer in, in Jesus that I need you more. And I just, it's so many times we see just how much we need the Holy Spirit. And so really as we've gone through it, we've, we've been going through the first three chapters and it's taken, how long has it been now? It's just taking a really long time. But one thing that I'm really thankful for is I realize that so much when we're reading God's word that we need to just slow down. So, so often, like, we came to this, this passage where we're, now we're basically transitioning into the second half of Ephesians. The way that Ephesians is ordered, the way that it's organized, is that you have the first three chapters of the book are all about the doctrine and the theology that we have, all the things about what God has done. And Paul just keeps unpacking it. He keeps unpacking it, keeps opening up more insight into what God has done through his spirit, that he's adopted us. We have all these things that that God has given us. And it's really all about God's grace that he's given to us. God's mercy is when he withholds from us something that we deserve. We've all deserved punishment. We all deserve death because of the sins that we had committed. And God's grace, on the other hand, is what God so freely gives us that we don't deserve. And that's the most awesome part. So as, we're, as we've been just unpacking, it's just like we had this picture, and we were going to do this great big uh, illustration of the suitcases and all the stuff coming out of the suitcases that God has blessed us with. We've got adoption into his family. We have hope of eternal life with him. We have the hope of new life free from sin. That We, we, we even live in that now. We have, we have life in the spirit and the power that he gives us to live our lives. So as we, get, as we head into Ephesians chapters 4, 5, and 6, now we get to the place where we're, we're, we're looking at the application of what we believe. Now that we've heard all these great things, Paul has outlined them for us, saying, look at all this grace, look at all these awesome things. And we get into, we, we start off, and it, it's, a, it's a very, I call it like a hinge, it's like a hinge chapter, hinge set of verses that take us from, okay, so here's what we know about what God has done. How does it apply to my life? So I'm just going to read it. We're um, in Ephesians chapter 4. It's verses 1 through 3. So often when we read this part, a lot of the commentary, it rushes right to the gifts, the gifts of the, of the ministry, right? And, but, but I thought, when I was reading this, I thought, wait a minute. I need to really slow down here because I don't think you can get there from, from here, so to speak. That there's a, there's a pathway to get to that place where we're walking in unity so let's just, let's just read it together. It's Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So we have, we have three things going on here that I really picked out, and one of them that really stood out was the calling. Paul starts out saying, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. He, he says it again. And there's many times through Ephesians, he reminds us again, this is what I'm doing. Paul is giving his all. He's using what he's going through right now as an example, as a way of saying, this is really important. He refers to it as a way to say, hey, let's, let's just stop and listen to what God's word is saying to us, what God is saying to us right now. He's saying, look, look at what I'm going through, and I'm giving my all. He identifies with Jesus. He says, I'm a prisoner for the Lord. And almost as if he's saying, I'm a prisoner of Jesus. Jesus is, has me in this place. He knew who he was. He knew why he was there. 
He didn't, he didn't focus on, well, I'm in prison. That's a loss. That's a negative thing. He, he's saying, I'm doing this. God has a purpose in what I'm doing. So he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So if you haven't read the first three chapters, you'd be wondering maybe, what, what's that calling? What does that mean? We, we know in certain um, contexts we have people that say, I have a calling. We, we, we recognize certain people that have a calling on their lives. But the, the therefore is really pointing back to what we've already talked about in the first three chapters. It's basically saying, in light of everything that, we've already, that I've already talked about, now we have, we have this calling. So he's essentially saying, in light of all that we know about God's grace, live this way. Live according to this calling. So there's a number of things as, we, as we've gone through that we're called to hope. It's one thing that's very, very uh, key in Ephesians. Ephesians 1 verse 18 talks about that. It says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. So he's called us to hope. And our hope is in Jesus, the sacrifice that he made to take our sin away and give us new life in him, new life in the Spirit. That's what he's talking about there. We're also called to the family of God through adoption. Romans 8, 2. It says, For the law of spirit of life... Well, it says, For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That's actually the other thing, life in the spirit. Uh, Verse 15... says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So we get to call God Father. These are all the amazing things that God has done through his grace, through what he did by sending his son Jesus for us. But this, that comes to a question, do we know who we are? Do we know what we're called to? Is, is that something that we're identifying with? You know, I come to that, 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 that this area of, of of Ephesians, and I think to myself, am I really walking in that place that I'm called? Am I walking in in that way that recognizes that I'm called to God's family? I think it it changes everything. It changes how we think about about life, how we relate to one another. So I think one of the, um, something that's really spoken to me as an illustration of what it means to understand your calling, because it has an effect on how we live, how we conduct ourselves. It really changes our perspective. And, and Paul is just encouraging us so much to just say, go back to that place. Think about your calling. Think about all these things that God has called you to. But mainly he's called us to be part of his family, to live in that place where we understand that his grace is for us. It changes the way that we live. One of the illustrations that, I was, uh, that, that I've really come across in my life that's really changed my perspective on thinking about myself and in terms of where do I stand in, in light of what God has done, in light of God's grace for me, the amazing things that he's given me. He's given, us, he's given me life by, by his spirit. Um, someone who really understands their calling. I thought of, I thought of three different t- kinds of people. We think of a calling often as I'm called to be a doctor. I'm called to be a parent. We think of those things. So it's, it's something that we understand about what we're, we're to do in life and how we're to respond to the, to the things that happen around us. And, and an easy one is a police officer. You've heard, that, you've heard that term, conduct unbecoming of an officer. It's when the officer's doing something, he 
probably shouldn't be doing. <laughs> right? Like he's speeding. Well, if we see them speed, we understand why they need to do that. But, you know, for example, if they were caught shoplifting or something, that would be a good example of, come on, like you're a police officer. It should be pretty obvious that you shouldn't be doing the very things that you're, that you're you know, you've given your life to, to, to stand up against. They, they, an officer re- represents the law. When he puts that uniform on, that means something to everybody, not only the, to himself, that uh, it reminds him of the way he conducts himself. He conducts himself in a very particular way when he's wearing that uniform. And we also, we, we also conduct ourselves in a particular way. Often, I sometimes find myself catching myself thinking, I know I really don't need to worry here. I'm not doing anything. I'm not speeding. But it's just that, you know, you see a, a, a police car or you, you see an officer in uniform. We were um, at the Tim's, which is, I always refer to as my office, because if anyone comes to visit me or we need to meet together, I say, yeah, I was waiting at my office. It's just across the street from us in Cuyahoga. And we, we walked in, and there was a police officer standing there in line in front of us. And the kids were like, oh. And Danny's like, he's got a gun. And I was like, yeah, he's got a gun. He's really tall. <laughs> so they were just like in awe of this, this police officer because it meant something to them that he's got the uniform, he's got the, the gun holstered. And in Canada, we try to make sure that they're the only people walking around with the guns, right? So we recognize what this person represents. He puts that uniform on. It's, it's exactly what Paul's talking about. He's saying, I'm urging you to be mindful of, to think about the calling to, what, to which you've been called to. So it's, it's, it's that kind of thinking. Another, another, thing that I th- another kind of calling that I thought about was a firefighter. Definitely know that if you, if, is it, does anyone know a firefighter? Is it pretty obvious that they're a firefighter in many ways? You know, for example, if, the house, if they come across a house burning down, I don't think they're just going to say, well, you know, it's my day off. You know, I, I'm done. You know, it's someone else's problem. They just jump right in. I'm thinking specifically of, of the, the events of September 11 when they, they lost 300 firemen who thought nothing of running into the, to the inferno of the World Trade Center and, and pulling people at, at heavy, they, they experienced heavy losses that day. But we saw what it meant to understand your calling. They didn't think about it like we do. Like, oh, I don't know, I'd have to think twice. You know, I've always been taught as a kid, you don't run back in the burning building. And firemen do it. It's their job. It's, who, it's part of what defines them in terms of when they're, they're, they're wearing that uniform, or even when they're not. It's something that, that it, it governs them. It, it, it's, it's in a way, it decides how they're going to respond. So they didn't think, well, you know, maybe I could, should rethink this fireman career. You know, when you're standing there looking at this blazing inferno and wondering if you're going to, they don't wonder if they're going to go in. They do it. Their calling determines who they are. The third story is something that comes from the pages of history. It's the story of the Birkenhead Drill. I'm not sure if anyone's familiar with that. We're going back to 1852. So the Birkenhead was a ship that was made by John Laird. He was a very popular Scottish shipbuilder in the day. We are going back to the war uh, that Britain was involved in in South Africa. And this is a troop ship. It's designed for carrying troops. And so they were sailing from Cork, Ireland. It took them... It took them the interesting thing about the, the Birkenhead, it was a very fast ship. It would take you about 60 days to pretty much make a, 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 a big journey across the ocean. And the Birkenhead could do it in 45. So it was a very fast ship. It was, it was the first iron-hulled 
ship of war of its kind. So it's, 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 it was a historical ship. It was a decorated ship. Um, it was considered a very sturdy ship. It had, got, it had taken its passengers very safely uh, through dangerous waters for, for many years. This is February 26, and they're traveling. Uh, there was a rumor that there was a big treasure on board of gold. It was about $250,000 million, of our dollars worth in gold. So at that time, that was a lot of money. That was a king's, basically a king's fortune at the time. And so they, were, they had women and children on board. They were, they were transporting a number of troops that were going to go and camp wherever they were, they, were, they were being commissioned to camp. So they had women and children on board. They had horses. They had a, a lot of supplies. They're, they're moving camp. And they came to this area that was called Cape Danger. And it was, it was well known as a very dangerous cape with a lot of reefs and things that could really... Mess up, your, mess up your ship. You had to be very careful, and a lot, lot of times the captain would decide to sail around. So this is just around 2 a.m., and the ship's just sailing as usual, and, and there's a bit of a rumor that they were really trying to push that 45-day day journey, and they hit a, a shelf a, a, on, on the reef, and it ripped a hole in the hull, and everyone that was sleeping below decks, they, they were gone in an instant. Cold water came in, and they didn't have a chance. And so when that happens, you're, you can imagine you're, it's in the middle of the night and you're just all of a sudden, you're, something wakes you up and, it, and it's the rush of the sound of people getting to, to the top decks. That's what you did when you understood that the ship was in trouble. So everyone's coming up to the, de- to the top deck and they're lining up, and they're, they're forming ranks and they're waiting to see what their commanding officers are going to tell them. When a ship gets into trouble, all authority and control goes over to the captain immediately. All the, even, if the, even if the officers outrank them. Everything goes to the captain. Every, all those decisions are, are made by him. So they're lining up. They're waiting to see what the captain is going to say. Um, some of them are ordered to go down and try to, to desperately pump out the water, and it doesn't work. It's, it's a hole. It's just, it's, it's just too big. They realize that they're going down. So they start to check out the lifeboats, and they realize that they don't have enough serviceable lifeboats to actually get everybody off the ship safely. So they have to make a decision captain's face with a very difficult decision. So what he does is he, he commands the officers to help the women and children, their family members. These are families. He orders them to get the women and the children onto the boats and get, that, get those lifeboats away from the ship as far as they, as far as they can go. And that the, the soldiers are to wait until they're safe, that the children and, and their wives are safe before they actually do anything else. This is all done within, a, we're talking about a 10-minute, they have, they have a 10-minute time period to make this decision. Um, during that time, they actually order the ship, to, the, the captain orders the ship to do full reverse. And what that does is it actually just, it just makes the hole even worse, and, they, and the boat starts to crack in two. And they've already got the women and children off, and the captain gives the orders, he says, let them get, they need to get at least about, uh, I think they, they want them to get uh, about 150 yards away from the boat before they start to make their preparation. They go to some other, they have backup lifeboats. The backup lifeboats are, are useless. They're, they're rotten because this boat had just, it was, it was kind of had that tight, you know, this is before the Titanic, but it had, it had that reputation that it'll never go down. It's, it's been faithful all this time. You know, we really don't have to worry about lifeboats in this boat because it's, it's going to keep us safe. And when they back up, basically what happens, the ship cut, breaks in a certain place and it actually destroys whatever remaining lifeboats that they have. But they made that decision to say, you know, the good lifeboats that we know are working, we're going to get those 
those fam- that get our families off the boat. So at that moment, the captain actually panics. And he says, okay, now every man for himself, <laughs> right? Let's, let's dispense with this women and children first thing. And that's actually, this is the, the important thing. The Birkenhead drill actually came to be known as, that's why for generations of sailors later, that's where women and children first came from. That, that phrase came from this incident that when the captain gave that order, that caught on and that became something that governed the conduct of all, sol- of all sailors after that incident right up to the, the sinking of the Titanic. Same thing. They did the same thing. So he says, okay, every man for himself, his, his two, the two uh, highest ranking officers that are now under the captain, they remind him of what he had committed himself to. He said, do you remember, if we make a swim, for, you, you, you said we got to get them to safety. If we swim for those boats, we'll capsize them. There'll be too many people on, on board and, the, and, those, and we'll, we'll sink the lifeboats. So the captain says, all right, so what we're going to do is we're going to stay in formation. They stay in the same, they, they, they're, they're there in the same position that they were in when they first started making the decisions about what they're going to do. How are they going to respond? So what's very important to understand is this was in a time when soldiers, they, they did what they were ordered to do. They considered it their duty. It was their place and their station. They were soldiers. They didn't think, again, like a, a fireman thinking, you know, I don't know, I've, I've got second thoughts about going into this burning building. It was who they were. It was their duty to respond accordingly to what that uniform meant to them. And it represented something bigger than they were. It represented the military and, and, and the, 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 the structure and the community that they were part of. So they went down with that ship. And obviously they were free to try to swim ashore. These, shark, these waters were also shark infested. So what happened was that they, they bravely faced this tragedy and many of them were eaten by sharks. There was about 400 uh, of the men that left and they, they bravely went down with that boat because they understood who they were. They understood what that uniform meant. And this story is just a heart-wrenching story. And, and they got together, they had a conference, they thought they found the one remaining guy, actually seven of them showed up and they honored these men. And these men, they said, one of the things that they had as they were, imagine growing old with this memory, they said it was the most stark memory that they ever had of any, any, any battle that they'd ever been through, any tragedy that they'd ever seen after that, nothing compared to what, what happened to them that night. And, and the peace that they said that they had was that they did the right thing, that they saved the families that were on board. It gave them peace to their dying days. It, it helped them process what had happened, helped them process that tragedy and say, I did the right thing. I did, I did what, what was the right thing to do. And what I think is remarkable is that they did it as one person. There wasn't anybody that said, you know, there wasn't even five or one, one soldier that said, okay, I'm, you know what, I'm done with being a soldier. I made a mistake. I'm out of here. I'm going to make a swim for it. They, they, they did it in an almost perfect unity. And, it, and it, was, it was a very honorable thing that they did. And it was honored by the people of that day. The, the queen recognized these men. So they acted according to their calling. And it's God who does the calling. It's very clear that it's God who does it. And he's the one that called us. So we're called to hope. We're called to adoption as sons. We're called to life in the spirit. And that's really what powers us to, to do the next part of Ephesians, of, of, this, of this passage. Um, he talks about, he, he's urging us to, to, to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. So our walk, how we're going to conduct ourselves it flows out of our calling. Who we, 
how, how much do we think about and acknowledge who we are in Christ Jesus? That he's given us the gift of his spirit. So anytime we're feeling like um, we're not in that place, and sometimes it's, it's very hard. Sometimes when we've had, you know, many times when I've had a rough week, I've, I've not lived in a way that I felt was right, made mistakes, that I get back, when, when I get back to that place where I understand that it's God who's called me to be part of his family, he's not going to take, he's not taking that back. It's who I am in Jesus. And my walk will simply follow that calling, my understanding of who I am in Jesus. Ephesians 1, 17 to 19 says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That's what it goes on to say. So it's very clear all through Ephesians we understand that the way that our walk works, the way that it lines up is, is through the power of his spirit that he's given us. It's not something that we can do on our own. So when he's talking uh, about that worthy manner that we walk, he mentions in Ephesians 4 verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So we see these words humility and gentleness and patience. And they remind us of the fruit of the Spirit. These are things that come from our life in the Spirit. One of those gifts that God has given us. That when we believed in Jesus, he gave us his Spirit. And that's the power center of our lives. That's how we get to that place where our walk flows out of our calling. It's who we are in him. So, one of the things that um, I was thinking about was uh, the word humility. Like, what is it really? Because I think sometimes it gets a bad rap. I think we, we see it as someone who's quiet or shy or, or lowly. The, 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 some of the, the scripture tra- uh, translations call it lowly. But humility is really thinking of yourself correctly. So it's thinking about yourself in light of what Christ has done, how much you needed him. It's not thinking about... Very often when we get, we get into these... Uh, Conversation. Sometimes anyone's been in a conversation that just didn't go very well, and every, you know, either side we're both hurt. You know, we're speaking out of hurt, and often when a conversation doesn't go well and it it gets hard, and and we're we're you know, we're talking about something. So often, sometimes one of the one of the hardest things that I have to talk about, often I really struggle in this area is talking about money. I don't know about anybody else, but that's one of my. Uh, danger zones, in, 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 so to speak, is that when, when I, it's very hard for me because it's something that I think, and a lot of you can relate to this, is that it's, it's sometimes it feels like I'm losing control, right? That, you know, there's, there's right now we're, we're having to go walk through some difficult things in terms of our finances. And um, I know that when I'm making that a difficult conversation, is that I'm not acting out of humility, which means I'm thinking about myself in a way that isn't correct. And I'm thinking that I ought not to be questioned about the money, you know, like, or I get nervous about, about talking about it. 
And I'm not thinking, you know what? God's going to take care of me. He's promised that he's with me. I don't have to worry about these things. Jesus said, don't worry about money. He says, don't worry about the things that you're going to wear. Don't worry about the food that you, you need to put on the table. I'm going to provide for those things. You just trust in me. So I'm thinking in a way that isn't correct. I'm not, th- I'm not acting and thinking uh, through the, the lens of humility. I'm thinking about myself way up here. And God's saying, well, actually, because you were way down here, you needed me. You needed my grace. So you need me all the time. You need, you, you need me all the time. So when we're in that place where things aren't going well in a relationship, often what's happening is we're, we're acting outside of a place of humility. It's not, it's not something that we're realizing. And, and we just, all we got to do is get back to that place where we're walking that out in humility, saying, you know, I realize how much I'm going to mess things up without God, without his power in my life. I'm really going to mess things up, understanding our need for him, our need for the, Ho- the Holy Spirit. So as we take this walk, he's saying um, the, the, the worthy manner that we walk, it's done with humility and it's done with gentleness. It flows out of understanding who we are, how much grace God has shown us. It flows out of that place. Um, one of, uh, another story that, that really came to mind to illustrate this is the story of Esther Ahn Kim. She was uh, a Korean woman who was facing uh, the occupation of, of her country by the Japanese. And she knew that as a Christian, she was going to be imprisoned because she wasn't going to bow down to the, to the, the, the idols of, of the people that were coming to take over, the country that was coming to take over. So she knew that it was happening. I don't know how she found out, but she knew that she was going to be put in prison because she, she knew who she was. She knew that she'd been called to God's family. She knew she had life in Jesus. She wasn't about to deny her faith. So what she began to do in preparation for this, she, mem- she began to memorize scripture. She memorized about 100 chapters of the Bible in preparation for this so that she knew that they wouldn't be allowed, she wouldn't be allowed to have her Bible with her in prison. And she said, you know, I want to be ready for whatever God has for me in this prison. She faced it as something that she was called to do because she knew that God's promises weren't going to change, that her life in Jesus wasn't going to change. And she also began to look for rotten food that she could find. Anywhere she could find rotten, decaying food, she, she began to learn and teach herself how to eat this food because she knew that that's what she would be offered uh, as her food in prison. I can't imagine anyone actually going, hey, can I have the, you know, the rotten bananas? They usually make their way to banana bread unless they're even in worse shape than that, right? Someone's saying, hey, you know, like that's, uh, can, I, can I try that, you know, slightly rancid meat? You know, I want to train my, my body to, 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 you know, to withstand it so that I can, I can get ready for, for prison. It makes me think a lot about the, the story of Paul as well. This is a modern day rendition of, of the same thing, of being willing to face hardship for, for Christ. Um, so she went, she went to prison and she was really amazingly used by God. Many people came to believe in Jesus because of what she did. She even gave up her own rations for, for other people. She would reach out her hand through, through the bars and just, just lay, lay, like grab someone's foot. There was this woman who was accused of killing her husband. She was thrown in jail and um, just really, and they're being tortured and, and beaten. And she just would reach out and, and, and grab a hold of this woman's foot and just pray for her. And so that's really a good picture of someone who, who's walking out their calling. They know who they are. They know, they know who they are in God. They know that they're God's child. They know that Jesus' life is in them. 
and, and they're, they're, the way that they conduct themselves flows out of that understanding of who they are. Um, so those are the, the, the humility that the Spirit puts in us, the gentleness that comes from Jesus and his life in us. The, these things are the how of how we get to the place of bearing with one another in love. If everybody's got gentleness growing in them, if everyone's just submitting themselves to a life of humility that says, hey, you know what? I'm seeing myself in light of how much I've needed God. Then we get to that place where we're going we're gonna to put up with one another, right? We're going to be at a place where we can over, easily overlook the faults of one another and get to the place where we're able to pray for one another, we're able to encourage one another in love. We get to that place of, 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 of love when all these things are working in our lives. They're the building blocks that, that, that put us together as God's people, as God's family. So anytime, I guess, it, when I'm thinking about that, I, I, I tend to get very down on myself sometimes. I tend to be a perfectionist where I look, at, I look back on a week and I forget to think about the good things of God and what God has done in my life and the fact that everything's okay and my life is in him. And I think about, well, I messed that up. I didn't do that right. And I look at my to-do list and go, oh, I didn't get everything done that I needed to get done. I was sharp or harsh with somebody. Um, in our family, we have, we have a big family. We have six children. So when we start to get a little askew on <laughs> in, the, in the unity and walking in love department, it becomes very clear in our family. It's, it's a felt thing for us. And especially when I'm not walking in that place, right, where I'm, I'm it's conduct unbecoming of, of, <laughs> of a dad. I'm getting frustrated and I'm not realizing these two are things that I've been blessed with. God has blessed me. The Bible says that children are, are a blessing, a gift from the Lord. I need to treat them that way and get back to that place where I realize that God has called me to something greater than I am. And it's all his work. It's something that he does. He calls us out of darkness. We just respond. Respond to what he's done. And, and, and so, uh, as we've gone through Ephesians, we've, we've been focusing on those things. Paul just turns around and starts talking about our walk. He said, this applies. These good things that we know about God, they affect how we live. So, unity, we get to the, to the last part where Paul says that you're eager, that the, the, the worthy manner that you walk in is that you're eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. And I think it's interesting that he uses the word maintain. You maintain a home that you've purchased. You didn't build it. I mean, some of us may have built our own home. I know my, my parents actually built their own house. It took a very long time. It's to maintain the unity of the Spirit, not to try to create it and make it happen through through some kind of community building exercise or, or event, although those things are good to have and good, good to learn. Uh, we're maintaining something that God is already doing because we're all called to the same faith. We're all called to the same life in the Spirit. That unity is something that God is doing. And um, I just had a couple of things uh, about that um, in terms of how we think about unity. These things... Uh, that are working in, in our lives, the fruit of the Spirit, humility and gentleness, they get us to that place. So we try to do different things uh, to, to, to try to create a sense of unity. We do it, we do it often. And I have some slides just that I'm going to end with. Basically, so the first slide, if we can have that up. This is how we often try to do unity. So, okay, everybody, get really close together. Let's just do a lot of things together. Like uh, in Israel, they have kib- the kibbutz. They, they live all in the same community. They're very, very close together. But what happens 
is what I saw in one of my kids. It's the little board book that we read. This is actually what happens when you try to force a community together and get everybody close together. This is what actually happens. The next slide. <laughs> little kitten's coming in. He's brand new. He's trying to climb in. And we, have, we, have, we just went down from three cats to two. We're a cat family. Sorry, Mark. But, <laughs> but anyway, this is what tends to happen when you try to make unity happen by making sure let's just all get really close together and be happy, 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 right? So uh, this is actually sometimes the effect of it. If we try to manufacture a community by saying, let's just do everything together, spend lots of time together. This kind of tends to be what happened. Another way that we try to create unity is this next slide. That's not the next slide. <laughs> That's not it either. It's the one... The one's this way. Yeah, there we go. That ruined it for me. But anyway. Um, oh, yeah, actually, no, that, those were the next slides. Sorry, go back. I forgot. <laughs> Since I'm making shameless plugs for cats, I might as well make this one because Mark's a Mac guy, and I happen to be a Windows guy, so it's been my uh, bread and butter for many years. So I just thought I would just make a shameless plug. Uh, but this is actually, the next slide really shows us what unity is all about. The next slide. Is that Mac and PC really, truly can get along, so... I was going to put the ones of them holding hands. I thought that wouldn't necessarily be appropriate, maybe give people mixed signals. But anyway, um, the next slide is another way that we try to do unity. We try to attempt unity by going with a hierarchy. Let's put a really awesome, cool, charismatic guy, or not, up at the top, and he'll be the leader, and all the other people will follow, and we'll stack it this way. That's how we're going to get unity. We'll just listen to the one guy, and then we'll all be really happy because we're just, we know our place. This is how the military does it, but for good reason. But this is not how the church does it, right? That's not how we do it. And, and usually when you have the hierarchy, it's usually the guys with the biggest hats. Let me leave that picture up. It's the guys with the biggest hats that you can tell are the ones in charge. That's how we know that they're at the top of the hierarchy. I'm not, I'm not saying, making any comment. I don't even know what denomination this is, but that seems to be what happens there. It's just not exactly how we roll at Kingsway, but, you know, it's a matter of style. But really what happens, if we go to the next slide, this is really how... Because it comes from God. It's, unity is something that God does. Right? So each believer, our lives are in Christ. Right? It's, it's, the, it's really the main theme of Ephesians is that it's, it's through Christ. It's through Christ that he's done. It's through Jesus. So if each believer is connected to Jesus, who is the vine, he's the head, he's the bread of life, he's who we need for sustenance in life. We have that humility and gentleness and patience and the bearing with one another in love. And it's bringing us all together. And what brings us all together, I don't know if you can see it there, is it's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and that's actually often what happens that just like that was covering it up. I put Holy Spirit at the bottom because that's often what happens is we forget our need to, to submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit, to let him have his way because he's the one that brings us all together. It's one, and Mark's going to be preaching on one spirit, one God and Father of us all, one salvation for all of us that we share. So if everybody's got these things happening in their lives, unity is really something that just happens. It's something that God does because we're called to it. And so um, just to, I just want to ask that question. Is, do you have peace? Are you walking in unity? Is it happening in your life? Really... Uh, Understanding our calling, understanding how our, our walk flows from that, understanding unity is, a, is really what God has called us to, is a conscious enjoyment of the privileges that God has given us as his people. And it's a conscious understanding of our responsibilities, but not from a slavish perspective, not from this idea that I just got to do it, it's my duty. It comes from an understanding of how I'm going to respond. It's that, God, your spirit's in me. 
You've put it in me. It's going to change how I respond. And if it's not lining up, I just need to get to that place where I'm quiet again. I'm trusting in your spirit to do the work that he wants to do. And really, in the end, it's really about getting to that place where we just respond to God. We're thankful for what he's done. And we just step into that circle. And we just stay in that place. We understand what God is doing through, through our lives. So in closing, I just want to read Titus 3, 2 to 7. It just really sums everything up. So it talks again about our walk and where it comes from. To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works by us, done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's the hope that we're called to. I'm just so thankful that we have that as a, fa- as a family, as, a, as a, a group of believers. We're called together to one purpose. So let's just pray. Lord God, I'm thankful for the grace that you've shown us. I'm thankful, God, that you are with us and that your word can just get right to the heart of things in us. And that, Lord, if we're struggling, if our walk isn't, in, uh, isn't lining up, we, we sometimes just are, find ourselves in that place. Lord, we know that there's more. There's more of you. There's more of you in our, for, for our lives. Lord, I pray that we can just come to that place where we understand who we are in you. Lord, that we're called to be part of your family. We're so thankful. Lord, we give you praise and glory. Lord, I pray that there's anyone here, Lord, that just really needs to, to have a, a deeper sense of your spirit, really needs to, maybe even for the first time, really hear the voice of your spirit, what you're saying to them. We know that you're speaking peace to us. You're speaking life to us in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, for that, that unity that we have as a family. And I pray, Lord, that you'll grow us in that. You'll grow us in that, in that desire to, to love one another and bear with one another, forgive one another, and encourage one another because we all have your spirit. We're so thankful that we have that power in us. We thank you, Lord. Amen.